What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I am one of the hosts of the Neighborhood Podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? I'm the other co-host, Kevin Valentine. How y'all doing? Off to another week, you guys. So we got a lot of news to talk about. Just to kind of give you guys a quick rundown for today's episode, we'll go over LeBron James's ankle injury that he suffered against the Atlanta Hawks last week. It's going to be determined that he's going to be out for probably the next three to four weeks with a high ankle sprain. So we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. We'll also go over the MVP race in the NBA simply because a lot of the guys that were running for the top spot at the MVP at this point are out of the lineup due to injuries. And it allows some other guys that may have been out of the running for the MVP just a week or two ago. Now gives them, gives them a shot to get back into the MVP discussion. And then after that, we'll talk about NFL free agency for a little bit. We're a full week into free agency so far. We'll go over our winners and losers, just teams that stand out for the acquisitions that they made. And we'll also go over some teams that didn't make any moves and kind of disappointed us in not making some solid moves in this free agency period so far. But we do have an update for you guys. So we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we were interested in having a guest on for one of our episodes later this week. We now have some news on that. Kevin, do you want to go over the news that we have regarding our guest for the episode later this week? Yeah, absolutely. So the winner of the competition is going to be Dawson. Dawson was featured on my podcast pretty much at the very beginning of the uh, the creation of the 104.6 and 1. Uh, big time sports fanatic, a uh, big supporter of the podcast, both mine and Kyle's individually. And again, uh, ours as, as a team, uh, can't wait to have Dawson on. We're going to be talking about a, a lottery of things, a lot of different topics. Uh, unfortunately, he is a big Bucks fan, so we might have to reiterate some more Bucks conversations. So I do apologize in advance for any people that hate the Buccaneers out there. But with them being Super Bowl champions, um, I feel like their conversation or topics about them will never cease to happen throughout this entire offseason. So, yeah, Dawson, can't wait to have you, man. We're going to be recording on Wednesday night. So super excited to have him on the show, and uh, hopefully we have many more afterwards. Fair point. And before we end up getting into this episode, I do want to mention, thanks to Kevin, he let me know, I think either a day or two ago, that Gary Sanchez will be the starter for the New York Yankees on opening day this year. So it looks like your boy is going to be one up on Kev when it comes to this 24 pack of Corona. Just uh, looks good on my end. Kev, do you want to say anything about that? I just, I don't understand it, man. I don't know if it's Aaron Boone trying to do a loyalty thing or trying to give him confidence because Hashigoka caught him almost the entire spring. So I don't understand what Boone is doing. Uh, Garrett's last, I think, seven or eight starts to end the season last year are Kyle Hashigoka, so I don't know why he's putting in Gary, but it is what it is. Kyle gets the first 24 case right now. That's going to be the tab we have going right now back and forth. The next one is riding on Russell Wilson staying on the Seahawks or remaining on the roster for opening day week one. So maybe I'll get lucky, but the way that it's trending right now, it seems like Russell's going to stay, but that's neither here nor there. Kyle, go fuck yourself. Not to toot my own horn, but I think in that one, I'm going to hedge so, my bets and say that Russell Wilson. The, uh, what's going on with LeBron James, man? I'm just saying Russell Wilson's going to be day so one. So what's going on with LeBron? What's going on with LeBron? You got anything to say, LeBron? Yeah, I mean, we'll get to it. But, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll transition into LeBron being out for the Lakers 
for the foreseeable future. So just to kind of give you guys an update on LeBron at this point. So he suffered a high ankle sprain against the Atlanta Hawks this past weekend. I believe the Lakers ended up losing that game. And it's determined that he's going to be out for a pretty solid period of time. And it's definitely going to have an impact on the Lakers seeding in the playoffs the longer that he's out. And not only that, his running mate in Anthony Davis is still out due with, he's still out due to a Achilles injuries injury that he suffered a few months ago. And he's, it's still a lingering issue for AD. So with that said, with that said, Kev, let me get your opinion on, do you think the Lakers are in legitimate trouble with LeBron and Anthony Davis out until at least mid April? 110%. The panic button has officially been hit. And, you know, we are in code red because you not only lost one superstar, you've lost your megastar now without his running mate. Your leading go-to scorer is going to be Kyle Kuzma. No disrespect to Kuzma. I don't know how much he can really weather the storm and keep this team relatively together. Wesley Matthews and Contavious Caldwell-Pope have not been playing well. The Drummond news has pretty much not ceased, but hasn't really gone anywhere with the trade deadline being on Thursday. So even with the acquisition of Andre Drummond, I don't know what that's going to do for the facilitation that LeBron James brings, the overall presence, as well as the defensive presence of Anthony Davis. So, uh, I mean, the Lakers are in some deep dookie, man. They are right now sitting at what, the third or fourth seed? If you, if I'm, if I'm third seed, I see them within the next three to four weeks falling easily bottom six because they don't have the leadership of LeBron James. They don't have the scoring of AD and LeBron James. And I just don't see them really carrying through it. I mean, a month is a long time for a team to kind of hold off a week or two or a week or two per player. We're talking a month each that they're both going to be out unless one comes back earlier to try to substitute or like, you know, put the fire out of the other being gone. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I say the Lakers are in full panic mode and if they don't make a push for Andre Drummond sooner than later, it might get that much worse. So we're just going to have to see the role players step up, man. We're going to have to see better play from Wesley and, and, and Pope and Kuzma's got to lead that team, that, that, uh, that starting unit. We're really going to see, we're going to need to see Marcus Saul in the Memphis days, maybe take on a little bit more of a, a more potent role. So I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do say that the Lakers are in some deep shit right now because without those two players, the West, we it's already the most competitive conference, obviously out of the two. So with all of the teams in the bottom half of the of the, of the West already kind of being relatively within three or four games of each other, you have a month to play some catch up for the Lakers. And I know for a fact, the top two seeds of the West see that as a, an opportunity to build some cushion. So I don't know, man, the West might completely flop because of this, this injury to LeBron James it kind of throws off the balance. The way that I look at it is I think it definitely is going to, significantly impact them in the short term. I remember I mentioned something similar when Anthony Davis was out for an extended period of time and is still out due to his Achilles injury. Yet LeBron was able to kind of weather the storm and keep the Lakers in a solid two spot in the Western conference while AD recovers from his injury. Now that LeBron's out of the mix, it definitely puts a lot more strain on these role players to really step up and try to get through this period of time as best as they can until LeBron and Anthony Davis comes back. So I'm just looking at the next five games that they play at. So they play the Pelicans next. 
They put the 76ers, Cavs, the Magic, and the Bucks. Obviously, the two games that stand out are going to be the Bucks and the 76ers. I think the Lakers lose those games pretty easily. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers lose by 20-plus in those games. But against the Pelicans, I think they have somewhat of a shot. Kind of have to see what happens with Lonzo Ball. He's involved with some trade rumors at this point, but Zion's having, a, packages. Ooh, man. Zion's having a pretty solid uh, sophomore campaign. Also, you got to worry about Brandon Ingram. So the Lakers may struggle in that Pelicans game too, but I think they win that Cavs matchup, and I do think that they beat the Magic. It's going to be very interesting. You mentioned Wesley Matthews and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I want to see Dennis Schroeder step up. He's a new guy that they brought in to run that point guard position. Listen, he's going to have to step up and probably average somewhere between 20, 25 points during this stretch. They're going to have to really – they're going to have – he's going to be the main scorer of this team because Kuzma is too inconsistent. Kuzma is what I consider a great spark player. He's a guy that can come off the bench and provide a great spark that can maybe get you 10 to 15 points, get some offensive rebounds. He's not going to go out there and consistently average – 20 points a game he's not really known as that type of basketball player now can can he pop off and have a game where he can get 25 30 points yeah but it's it's few and far between to see those games for kuzma the problem that i see is defensively with no lebron no ad they're going to give up a lot of points and i was even looking at some of the advanced metrics in regards to lebron james defensively lebron has one of the better He's one of the better players defensively when it comes to the analytics on the defensive side of the ball, which is very odd. But you lose him. You have AD. He's still out of the mix. It, I just don't see where this team is really going to be able to defend. Hey, Marcus yeah. is going to be your main centerpiece to defend the rim. Montrez Harrell. I mean, I don't know if they go small ball. And, and the thing is, Gasol's been in and out of the lineup the last couple of days. So I don't know how viable he's going to be to protect the rim and you know put up some easy put up some easy points and get some easy rebounds so the lakers are going to be in for a rough stretch here i think once ad and lebron come back at full strength i think they'll be fine i think worst case scenario i tend to agree with you i think they'll probably drop somewhere to around the sixth seed just looking at the western conference standings right now they're currently at the three spot at 28 and 15 Clippers are right behind them. I imagine the Clippers to overtake them probably by the end of this week, if not next week. I could see them realistically drop to the sixth seed right where uh, Portland's at, at 25 and 17. So the Lakers are, I don't want to say like the the Lakers title hopes are completely vanished because of the situation with LeBron dealing with his high ankle sprain. But for the next month, there's going to be some choppy, it's going to be some choppy water to go through. But once they get back, they'll be fine. It's scary, man. When you really think about it, this is the problem with teams that rely on, like, focal point players, like one or two people. Like, without one, you're a different team. But, I mean, for the most part, they were able to weather the storm, like you said, to kind of, like, hold themselves up and keep themselves afloat and as a top three seed. But with both out, it's it, it's basically a whole nother team and the, the chemistry, the ball movement, the, you know, who's going to take the last shot, who's going to be able to light you up 
you know what I'm saying, or like spark you up to kind of get you fired up, who's going to be able to make that big defensive play or who's going to be able to find that person open in the corner. It's just the Lakers dynamic. It's solely revolves around LeBron James playing style. And without him on the court, it is a massive change and a big difference. So I agree with the Dennis Schroeder point, but I don't know if he's going to be able to average no 20 to 25 because he couldn't do that when he was the man in Atlanta. He couldn't do that when he was in OKC. So I don't necessarily see him going out there. I can see him averaging 18 to 20 for sure. But, you know, like I said, other people got to step up, you know, whichever Morris brother they have, I always forget which one it is. Markeith. Um, Markeith's got to step up and average maybe 10, 12 points. You know what I'm saying? And other role players got to step up too. That guy Horton or Thornton, whatever his name is, that that super long guy, that two-way player that they have on the, on the Taylor, roster. Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, he's he's nice. I've seen a lot of his play, and I know that when he does get minutes, he provides. So, I mean, maybe he can kind of provide some spark off the bench, but who knows, man. The Lakers got to find a way to uh, kind of control this narrative and, and find a way to stay relevant because if they go on a big enough skid, even if Braun and AD come back within the month, if God willing, you know, there's no setbacks, that's going to be a hard mountain to climb because coming from the eighth seed or the seventh seed or the sixth seed in this stack, they're well, and this stacked Western Conference is an uphill battle. And now that they are back home and some fans are in attendance, home court advantage does kind of come back to some form of a, a, a leverage, so to speak, in the postseason. Yeah, the reason why I mentioned Dennis Schroeder is going to have to kind of be the impact player moving forward with this team because, look, he's going to be the primary ball handler. And when you look at him compared to the rest of the players on that roster, he can get to the rim fairly easily because he has some pretty quick get off and he has – some pretty solid speed. Now you could use that to your advantage because if you're starting the game off pretty well, it does open up some opportunities for some guys to hit some perimeter shots. So if he gets off to a hot start in the first quarter and the first half, when they play these next couple games, it's going to open up opportunities for Kuzma to knock down some perimeter shots. It's going to be the same thing with KCP and KCP. If he gets going, he can knock down probably three or four three point shots a game. And oh, yeah. We saw what happened in last year's postseason. When it, he gets hot, he gets hot. Yep. And I think it's really going to be – this is going to be a major focal point is what are the, what's going to happen with their bench because their bench is going to have to really step up here. So you're going to see players like Caruso step up. I don't know if Taylor Horton Tucker is going to step up to the level that you may think that he will. He's He has shown flashes this year. Just – he hasn't really gotten – a lot of playing time, but now with LeBron out of the lineup, it's probably going to give a pathway for Taylor to really get some solid minutes here and really give a chance to prove himself as they try to weather this storm until probably mid-April. It, like I mentioned before, it's going to be it's going to be tough for the Lakers to really hold ground at that three spot right now. But I think if they at best can keep a 500 record to get through this period, that's probably the best case scenario for them, but it's going to be a tall task for them for sure. I agree. I mean, but, you know, since we're talking about injuries, this whole MVP conversation has completely changed and changed for not the better, but I would say changed in an interesting fashion. So obviously we had Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, a list of players kind of out there uh, being thrown for the possibility of an MVP. Joel Embiid is hurt. LeBron James is hurt. Stephen Curry is hurt. I mean, if you really think about it, that's three MVP potential candidates. Kevin Durant, excuse me, Kevin Durant is also hurt. 
the MVP conversation has literally flipped from four of those names to four names that we had mentioned earlier throughout the season that we had projected to maybe make some impact. Damian Lillard's getting, you know, additional looks. Luka Doncic is playing out of his mind. We have Nikola Jokic, who's still dominating in the league right now. So he would probably get, not want to say catapult Joel, but like take over the number one spot. And like I said last time, James Harden is playing absolutely insane over the last month or so. Kyrie is out once again with family matters and Kevin Durant still battling a hamstring injury. So can James Harden really catapult from maybe the fifth or fourth best odds to capture the MVP all the way to first and make up that ground because of all of these injuries? I don't know. We don't know how long Steph's out. Joel's supposed to come back hopefully next week. So, I mean, Braun is out for a month. We, it, it really is up in the air. Damian Lillard, I believe, is starting to get a lot of attention. He's been playing very consistent, averaging just about 30 points a game, leading Portland to the sixth seed in the Western Conference. And, you know, he's got his running mate in CJ McCollum back. And Carmelo Anthony's having a great season. So Portland is making a name for themselves. And Portland is led by the, the, the phenomenal play of, of Damian Lillard. Logo Lillard's out here doing what he needs to do. And like I told you before the episode, maybe because the attention isn't focused on those three or four other players, that Dame can get the attention that he rightfully deserves because he was averaging these numbers even though these other players were still active. But nobody paid attention to him because he plays for Portland or because Portland's not a top five seed. But now maybe because those numbers are remaining consistent and the other players aren't being, you know, prioritized, Dame can start getting some media spotlight because we all know what happens when Dame gets hot. We saw what happened in the bubble. You disrespect him. He's going to drop 40, 50 points on the regular. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I don't know, man. This MVP race is tightening up and some other names are being thrown in there right now. And I'm not opposed to it. It makes it a really competitive point in the season right now. Just looking at the landscape right now, it, it's so difficult to really pick a player right now because you can make a case for two or three guys off the top, I can make a case for two or three guys off the top of my head just based off the last month or two. Look at somebody like Luka Doncic. Since the beginning of 2021, he's been absolutely balling out. The last two months, I would have believed in the month of February, he was averaging around 30 points a game. And then this month, he even got better, and now he's averaging 32 points a game. And because of his play, Dallas is sitting at the eighth seed right now. And it was a lot better than where they were sitting in probably three months ago when you and I were having conversations on whether or not that Rick Carlisle could be on the hot seat with the fact of Dallas playing so inconsistently bad in the first half of the season, but they have really turned it around. And in large part, it's due to Luca just absolutely going out there and just crushing it on the court. When, when you look at some of these other guys, the only constant though is probably Nikola Jokic because he, He's been playing in every single game. He hasn't been dealing with any sort of injuries. And look, the analytics are on his side. His PER is very solid. His win shares, whether it's just win shares by itself or win shares per 48 possessions, he's basically either number one or top five in the league when it comes to those advanced metrics. The only problem is, is that he's not really an exciting player. He's great at what he does for a seven-footer to go out there and average 27, 11, and 8. And kind of almost be disrespected to the fact where he doesn't get the same amount of shine as somebody like James Harden right now who's just absolutely going out there and just doing work for Brooklyn. I wish Nikola Jokic would get some more shine. It's just that 
it's Denver. They have Jamal Murray. Nikola Jokic is doing what he needs to do, but it's just the Clippers are sitting at that five spot. And I really do think to a certain extent. The Nuggets? That, did I say, what did I say? You said Clippers. I'll take that back. Denver. I just think with them being at that five spot, they don't get the shine that I think they deserve. Or I don't think that Nikola Jokic gets the shine that he deserves compared to somebody like James Harden. James Harden has that team sitting at the number two spot behind Philly. They can't overtake Philly right now. It's just because Philly's been playing pretty well despite Joel being out of the lineup. You got to give a lot of credit to Ben Simmons for doing what he's doing, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And then when you look at somebody like Damian Lillard, Dame is one of the most, how do I say this? He is one of the best players in the game right now, but he's never regarded in this MVP discussion. It's just, it's like you said, plays in Portland. Portland is a team that is a middle of the pack team in the Western conference, but they can never get to that like top three, top two team in the Western conference. And in large part, it's just due to the fact that the Western conference is just so stacked. When you look at this team, when you look at this conference from top to bottom, I think if the trailblazers were probably sitting at the three seed right now, instead of the six, Dame would be at the top of the list when it comes to this Big time. Big MVP time. race. It's just with them being at the six, Granted, they have a 25 and 17 record. And in the last 10 games, they're seven and three. So they're definitely playing solid basketball. It's just they're not in that top echelon of the Western Conference. And I think that does detract a little bit of a case away from Damian Lillard being at the top of the MVP race at this point. I mean, just to kind of look at the rest of the MVP players, like just from top to bottom, I, if I had to say like like the top three guys in no specific order, I'd say probably James right now. I would say Nikola Jokic. And then if I had to throw a third one, I'd either throw, I'd probably say Dame. But, I, and, and this is in no specific order, you guys. So those are just kind of like three players that I have right now. And in large part, it's just due to the fact that these top guys that we had maybe two weeks ago with LeBron, Steph, and Joel being out of the lineup for at least the next couple of weeks, it gives these second tier MVP guys a real look at possibly stealing the MVP in the second half of the season. It really does kind of remind me of something that happened probably back in the 2010s when it looked like LeBron James was going to win the MVP when he was with Miami. And then Derek Rose snatches the MVP right at the end from LeBron's grasp. It could be a very similar situation this year just because we had pretty much Joel and Nikola Jokic really at that top one or two spot. But with Joel out, it does really open the door for a lot of these guys to make a case. So I know we had talked about this off air. Um, it's funny that we talk about these MVP candidates, right? These teams are nothing without these players. Obviously, we're going to see what the Lakers are made of without their two best players. Mm-hmm. We're obviously going to see that Philly we, – we've seen that Philly is still maintaining a, a stellar level of play – without Joel Embiid and, you know, so on and so forth. But my thing is, what's the real definition of an MVP, right? Most valuable player, a person that without your team is the epitome of dog shit or they're completely useless. I want to give a big shout out to Jimmy Butler because the Miami Heat 
were at the bottom tier of the Eastern Conference just about a month and a half ago, tied with the Celtics for like the 10th or whatever. See, I don't remember exactly what it was, right? They were just the bottom of the barrel. Jimmy Butler was out. Other players had COVID. Other players were out. Jimmy Butler himself has single-handedly carried Miami back to relevance and dominance. Right now, they're on a, on a, on a pretty big skid. They are on a four or five-game losing streak. Don't get me wrong. But where they were headed is not where they are. And that is solely reliant upon Jimmy Butler's playing style of that no tolerating bullshit, no excuse, play through every second, every single play, and hustle. Jimmy's been showing that since his Chicago days, since his Marquette days, and even in his high school days. So that mentality doesn't really exist anymore. And for Jimmy to not get any recognition, he's not putting up MVP numbers. We know he's not in that upper echelon of of Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and that's fine. He doesn't need to be. Because what he brings to the table is a whole different mentality. When he's on a team, he brings that grit, that chip on his shoulder, and that mentality of, I'm coming to get you. I don't care who you are. And that showed in the finals. The Heat were in a lot of those games in the finals. And they had LeBron James and Rajon Rondo and Anthony Davis. And Jimmy Butler solely carried them to two wins. He had a triple-double in two of those games. So... If anybody deserves actual MVP talk, MVP credit, somebody to actually pay attention to that isn't putting up the best numbers in the world, I think Jimmy Butler deserves at least a vote, man. Because the Miami Heat were hot garbage before Jimmy Butler got back from that injury. And, man, since he's got to Miami, he's completely changed the culture. Let me throw another name out for you. And, granted, he he's a very dec- – he's an extremely decorated player in the NBA right now. And – He's won two prior MVPs already. What about Giannis? Look, I'm just I'm gonna just lay it out for you guys. If you look at the Bucks right now, they're sitting at that third seed in the Eastern Conference right now. They're actually only two games back of the 76ers. So the Bucks are at least competing for that top spot in the Eastern Conference. They're nine and one in their last 10 games. They've won six in a row. What would you say that Giannis's prospects are for a possible third MVP to his career at this point? I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, to be honest with you. I really wouldn't. I think that the, excuse me, the addition of Drew Holiday has tremendously helped their three-point shooting. Obviously, the elevation of skill be, uh, that, that, that Chris Middleton brings to the table and the depth of their bench. And now the acquisition of T, uh, P.J. Tucker to add that defensive, you know, gritty kind of player to the bench. Um, I think that Giannis's campaign for a third MVP is definitely climbing, but I think that he has too much ground to honestly make up throughout the entire portion of this season because earlier on in the season the Bucks were kind of average you know like fifth fourth seed they weren't really doing much Giannis wasn't playing very well still can't really shoot the basketball but his elevation of play recently has definitely catapulted him back into the conversation but there are still players that are very well ahead of him so can Giannis push the last two months of the year to, to try to make a run for a third yeah because he's still Giannis but do I think it's possible no. And again, I, I know my Jimmy Butler example wasn't to actually give him the MVP because we all know that he's not the MVP of this league. He's probably the MVP of the Miami Heat. But a player like that, to me, is what an actual most valuable player looks like and what mm-hmm. he brings to a, to an organization. I feel, I feel you on that. And I, in a lot of ways, Jimmy kind of reminds me of Kobe as far as like mentality goes. He tries yeah. to, he gets the best out of the teammates that he has around him. And Miami really did struggle with COVID-19 at the beginning of the season. Now that they have like all the, did, yeah. now that all these guys are back, 
they're back in the groove of things. Granted, Miami has lost three straight, so they're going to have to definitely turn things around. Turn things around just as far as the short term goes. But I love what Jimmy brings to the team, and he's going to go out there every single game and give it everything that he has. And it it does rub off on the players that are around him because if you look at somebody, if if you're one of his teammates, and you look over at Jimmy going out there playing probably forty plus minutes a game, giving you everything that he can you got to step up and do what you need to do to produce for your team if jimmy's going to go out there as one of the nba super nba superstars that he is and guys got to emulate that and i think with miami those guys are definitely in in a much better position than they were just a few months ago when it looked like their whole season could have been derailed by covid yeah so i mean the MVP conversation is interesting. It's going to continue to develop throughout the entire rest of the year. And obviously votes are going to change. People's opinions are going to change. People are going to come back from injuries. It's just something we wanted to share with you guys because it, it did become a very interesting point of conversation with some MVP candidates going down for a better part of the rest of the year. Let me ask you just, just to kind of get us a lay of the land when it comes to the MVP. Like if you had to name three guys right now, it doesn't have to be in any specific order. Who would be the three guys that you you would say are going for that top spot at the MVP? I'm reiterating exactly what you said. It's Jokic, it's it's uh, it's James, and it's Dame. It's a fair point. It's I would just- I, as a Mavericks fan, I, I, I would truly and honestly love to say Luka Doncic, and he has carried us from the bottom of the Western Conference to obviously the bottom of the playoff Western conference. So yes, we are trending in the right direction, but because we all know how the MVP works, you know, best player on the best team on the best conference, we all know how that kind of works. So I'm not surprised at all that he's not going to get as many votes as I would like, but he has improved all statistical categories from the beginning of the season to the end. So, I mean, he will get at least, I would hope a vote or two because of the impact he has, but we all know what happens. You're not going to give an MVP to no to no eighth seed in the West. So, so just to reiterate, yeah. James, Jokic, and Dame. Yep. Perfect. I, I normally have a lot more to say, you know, in terms of like disagreeing with you, but I mean, it, it's hard to disagree with those two, those three valid players. Uh, granted, Embiid is supposedly coming back next week, barring any setbacks. So he could just catapult himself right back into the conversation, but it is a leg injury. So we don't know how he's going to recover from that. We don't know if he'll get re-injured. We don't know if it's going to change his playing style and his aggressiveness. So, you know, things to monitor, but players that are just consistently hot and players that are trending up are going to be the three players that we just named. And if I have to go like hottest player of the three of them, it is definitely James Harden because who knows how long KD is out and we don't know what the hell is happening with Kyrie again with a family matter. So if James continues to play like this, I would not be surprised he comes away with an MVP. And that would be, what, his third? Second. I thought he won two in Houston. I could have swore he won one. I thought he won two in Houston, but I could be wrong. I could double-check on that later. But, look, man, James with Brooklyn, they've been playing outstanding. And like you said, it's one without... MVP. Oh, he has one, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well... I mean, with the way that he's playing, he is well deserving of a possible second one if he keeps this up. And that would, and also with KD and Kyrie out of the lineup, it does help kind of prove his case or at least help his case going towards the end. I don't of the need season. them. I'm doing it by myself. <laughs> exactly. 
So, and he's 25, done a great- 25, 8, and 11, bro. 11. Yeah, he's doing great. He's doing great. And it's, I mean, that's why Brooklyn's going to be one of the finals favorites this year. And if you guys look at the sports books right now across the board, they all have the Nets as the favorite to win the finals right now just because LeBron's out for probably the next month or so. Yeah, but we don't know what's going to happen with the other two also. The two of them could end up combining for a total month absence overall. So, you know, you can't really judge based off of that. It's how the rest of the team carries. Blake Griffin dunked the ball for the first time in like over 450 days, which was hysterical. So I know I got a laugh out of that one. It, it, it was good to just see him back on the court, actually looking like he was enjoying himself for once. Yeah, smiling, laughing, yeah. having a good time and playing well. Yeah, I agree. I like Blake Griffin, so. I, I don't think that we're going to see – what we saw from Blake when he was with the Clippers, but him going out there and looking like just like having fun for once. It's been a long time since he's probably just had fun being out in the court instead of being in that freaking dumpster fire that's in Detroit right now. Oh yeah. Big time. But with that said, we'll transition into some NFL news. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we've been one week into NFL free agency so far. So we've seen a lot of players on the move so far. We've seen a lot of guys signing with new teams, starting new beginnings for those teams going into this season. So we'll go over our winners and losers from the first week of NFL free agency so far. So, Kevin, what do you got for your winners and your losers as far as teams go in NFL free agency so far? So I'm going to go last to first. I'm going to say – the losers of free agency, in my personal opinion, are definitely going to be Jacksonville Jaguars and the Baltimore Ravens. Jacksonville has had the most cap space, and they have basically signed absolutely no one outside of Marvin Jones and Carlos Hyde. They lost in Gakway, obviously, last season in a trade, and they got basically nothing in return. Uh, and the Ravens, they're still missing a star wide receiver. And they lost Ngakwe. They lost Judon. That pass rush is not going to be the same. They're looking to lose that that tackle that they have. Was it Orlando Brown? I believe so. He's on the trading block. So Lamar Jackson's blind side is going to be up. They lost Mark Ingram. Uh, I mean, Baltimore just does not seem to be in line to make a push at any point right this season. I know that they are bringing in Sammy Watkins for a workout or a meeting tomorrow. So, I mean, maybe. But what is Sammy Watkins really going to do when he's played a total of 24 games in three seasons. So I can't really say much because the Colts are bringing him in for an interview on Wednesday. I I hope it's a ploy to bring TY in, you know, kind of like a, Hey, if you don't want to sign with us, we're going to bring Sammy in for a workout. But yeah, those two are definitely the biggest losers to me. Uh, I would definitely say the biggest winners in my opinion, I have three teams. I have obviously the Tampa Bay defending champion Buccaneers pretty much bringing back everybody on that Super Bowl winning roster aside from Endomic and Sue. And, uh, Antonio Brown and Antonio Brown, obviously. And then we have the new England Patriots right behind them, basically breaking the entire bank. They had a Brinks truck come in single-handedly and hand out money basically to everybody. And then I would say the New York giants, they addressed the playmaking need of getting a number one wide receiver. And they got the best one in this free agency class in Kenny Galladay. They got a Dory Jackson to help solidify that secondary. And then they retained Leonard Williams and gave him the extension that he rightfully deserved after his play the last two seasons. So, I mean, Winners and losers, it's really hard to tell. If I have to give my personal opinion on, on a real winner, I really think that that's going to be my dark horse, which is the, the L.A. Rams. They didn't necessarily bring in a whole lot of people. They didn't have a lot of cap space. But as an organization, to go with the record of last season, 11-5, and five, with the play of Jared Goff, and you elevate 
and basically swap the quarterback play and put in Matthew Stafford, I think it's absolutely incredible. Every single player on that roster that isn't Aaron Donald restructured their contract to make sure that they could pay Stafford and that they can uplift and create some form of cap room. Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, Robert Woods, you name it, that entire offense with Cooper Cup and, and the rest of those boys, we're looking at 11, an 11-5 team with Jared Goff and you plug in Matt Stafford instead. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. NFC West, we don't know what's going to happen. We know Jimmy Garoppolo is okay at best, but will he lead them to another Super Bowl? Probably not. Russell's got his own problems in Seattle, that offensive line. They're probably my third loser because they have done absolutely nothing to address the biggest problem in, in the room. You know, they, they, they didn't address the elephant in the room. Russell said, I need an offensive lineman. You had a, plenty of guards available, and they, they, they didn't get not one of them. So, I, you know, Seattle, we don't know what's going to happen there. And then, obviously, Arizona. We know what Kyler Murray can do when he's at the top of his game, but will we get the Kyler of the first eight games, or will we get the Kyler of the, 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 the latter of the, uh, the second tier of the season in the final eight games? They got A.J. Green. They got J.J. Watt. They kept Larry Fitzgerald. So, offensively, they look good, but they did lose Pat Peterson on the opposite side. So, we don't know. But I really do think the L.A. Rams are a, a, really, a really, really big winner that people aren't talking about, man. Matt Stafford's going to light it up. And I think that they're poised for a Super Bowl run if Tampa Bay don't get, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, slips up at any point in the season. And if you're talking about the Rams here, I mean, the Rams are in probably the most competitive division in the entire NFL right now. So you add somebody like Matt Stafford to the mix with a team offensively that's pretty solid. Their wide receiving core with Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, you got Tyler Higby at the tight end spot, and then Cam Akers in the backfield. You plug in Matt Stafford, that offense is going to be humming pretty much for the most part next year alongside with that defense with the pass rush of Aaron Donald it's going to be a tough team to go up against with LA next year but I'm going to go in the reverse of what Kevin did so I'm going to start with my winners and then I'll hit on my losers for free agency Um, in no specific order I'm not saying like this team did the best I'm just saying these are my three winners I've got the Bucks first the Bucks resigned the major pieces to the team that they needed to Shaq Barrett was the premier pass rusher in the entire free agency class this year. They not only signed him back to Tampa, they got him on a four-year deal. Probably, I believe he signed a $72 million deal. So he got the money that he was looking for. He gets the job security that he was pursuing. And he gets to stay with a championship contending team with Tampa. Not only that, they franchise tag Chris Godwin. So he'll stay for another year. They re-signed Gronkowski and Levante David. So adding those... Adding and keeping those four pieces there in that Bucks solid core of players, that's going to be massive for them to get back to the Super Bowl next year. We'll see what happens with Antonio Brown and Dominican Sue. If they come back on the cheap, I think it even bolsters Tampa's case to be the favorite coming out of the NFC next year. But we'll see how those moves materialize in the next couple of days or weeks or so. The second team that I have, you mentioned the New England Patriots. The Patriots definitely by far went out there and made big splashes just with the amount of players that they signed. I believe they signed almost close to like 10 free agents just in the first week of this free agency period. They completely revamped their defense. When you look at their linebacking core, just that specific part of the defense, you can make a case that the top six guys at that linebacking core are all starters if they were to be on a different team next year. So they get not only that, they get their COVID opt-outs back from last year, which include Dante Hightower. You pair that with the free agent signings that they had, they're going to be solid on the defensive side of the ball. 
And they got a solid pass rusher and Matt Judon. That's going to be amazing for them. And I, that's one thing I'm going to be looking forward to next year is New England's pass rush because they've got some solid pieces on the defensive line to work with. And not only that, they did get some weapons for Cam. So having Nelson, uh, having Aguilar, having John U. Smith and Hunter Henry, which having Hunter Henry and John U. Smith, the top two tight ends in this free agency class, it's crazy that they were able to sign not only one, but two of those guys at the top at the top of the position at the tight end group. So having those two guys, I think Cam is going to be in a much better position to perform better than he did this past season with just the limited receivers and weapons to throw to. So I definitely have the Patriots as one of my winners. And then my third team for the winners is Washington. I thought they added some solid pieces throughout this free agency period. They added William Jackson, the third, he's a solid cornerback came from Cincinnati. He signed like a three-year deal for about $40 million. He replaces Ronald Darby. I believe Darby went to Denver. So it does add a solid defensive presence in that secondary. And I think he'll do wonders for Washington moving forward. They also added Curtis Samuel. He'll be paired up with Terry McLaurin. Those guys were former Ohio state teammates. And I think having those two guys as your top two wideouts to throw to, it's going to be solid for whoever throws it to him, whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was also signed this off season and Taylor Heineke was also signed before free agency, but whether it's Heineke being the quarterback or Fitzpatrick being the quarterback, they're definitely going to have some decent options to throw to as we go into next season. So those are my, my three teams for the winners in free agency. And then I only have two losers here. Um, The first team that I'll go over is Seattle. You mentioned that they didn't make a lot of moves and they saw, they saw some pieces leave. I, I I don't know if you mentioned, but Shaquille Griffin being moved. He left. Yep. So, Oh, he signed with Jacksonville, right? I think he went to the Jags. Yeah. He signed with, so they, so they did one thing. They still losers though. Yeah. So the, the one thing when you look at Seattle right now is look, Russell is definitely frustrated with the, the direction of this team. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's had to carry this team on his back really without a lot of help the past few seasons. And when you look at some of the moves that have been made this off season, Seattle has not made really the right decisions as far as going after some possible free agents. I mentioned last week that they could have gone after Joe Tooney to kind of bolster that offensive line to help Russ out a little bit. He ends up going to the chiefs. Like I mentioned, Shaquille Griffin on the defensive side of the ball, he goes to Jacksonville. So when you look at Seattle, Seattle's defense took a hit. Seattle's offensive line didn't get any better. Now their skill positions and the offensive side of the ball is still pretty intact, but they did lose Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson could be on the way. Chris Carson well. signed a, no, he signed a, he signed a two year, $14 million deal. Who did he sign with? The Seahawks. Oh, he's resigned. Yeah. Okay. So two, I take that two back. year, 14.5. Okay. So, but with that said though, this team, I think, is going to be in a very, uh, in a kind of a similar position that they were in last year. I think they're going to be reliant too much on Russ, and I think the frustrations are going to continue. And then the second team that I have for losers is Chicago, simply because of the fact you signed Andy Dalton to be your quarterback for next year. If that correction, three years, twenty four point six. My apologies for Chris Carson. Yes. And then with the Bears, it's Andy Dalton. You signed Andy Dalton to be 
your starting quarterback for next season. If that doesn't scream, we've already given up for next year. I don't know what does. The red rifle. Okay, yeah. Kyle. He's disgusting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His play is disgusting. I, I'm just, I don't want to see him on the field unless he starts dropping dimes to whoever it's going to be. And I don't even know if Allen Robinson's going to be on this team because he signed he's, it. We'll see how long. He's going to be frustrated, though. He's going to be frustrated. I'm Allen Robinson. I say, I say trade me now. <laughs> Man. I say trade me now. Yeah. Just, it's going to be, it's going to be very tough sledding for Chicago next year. And like I said, when you sign Andy Dalton to be your starting quarterback, you, I don't want to say it's over, but it's just from a general manager perspective. It looks like you're already thrown in the towel. It's tough out here in the streets, but it's tough. What are you going to do? I would have, I honestly, if I was Chicago after the Russell Wilson campaign went through, it, it fell through. I would have pushed for Jameis hard as fuck. I would, I, I have no other option. I'm not going after Fitzpatrick because he's older. Jameis is younger, has something to prove maybe with the addition or maybe with the retention of Allen Robinson that makes it a little bit more of an attractive destination. Instead, he decides to go into a dumbass competition with Taysom Hill that who knows if he's going to win or not. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Chicago just doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. They were so high upon this whole Deshaun Watson slash Russell Wilson possibility, and they banked everything. They put all their eggs in that basket, and they ain't come away with anything. But we, I did send you a report on Twitter today the teams are still reaching out to Houston, and there are other teams that include the Philadelphia Eagles that are reaching out potentially to see if Deshaun is available for a trade. So, I mean, I know we just finished that free agency topic right there, but to transition to that, I know it's a surprise topic we didn't talk about. Dude, this whole Deshaun Watson shit like we talked about last week, we got another three cases. He's up to 10, and we still got teams looking at him saying, yo, it, 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 it's a, it's, oh, it's a 12. So so basically, Deshaun Watson is in a stage right now where he's kind of trying to figure out, like, well, am I going to play or not? And you still have teams fighting for you? Like, I get he's a generational talent, but the amount of litigation that is around him, why do teams want this man right now? Like, I would stay clear as an organization, public relations-wise, not a smart decision. Financially, definitely not a smart decision. And you have to pay him. Until he gets suspended. So, like, what are you doing? How does that make sense? Some of these teams don't have any capital right now. Philly included. Who the hell are you going to trade for him? Your whole future and picks? And then what happens? If he misses the season, is it worth it? I don't know. I don't think so. Philly doesn't have many offensive weapons. Who's he going to throw to? Himself? It's going to be like I, I, I don't know. I, this situation with Deshaun is very interesting because – when you look at Deshaun, I, I think my initial take on this whole situation with him was that I thought that he wouldn't be moved simply because I thought that his trade value was essentially going to be zero because teams don't want to deal with this whole sexual assault litigation that he's going through right now. But it's not stopping these general managers from going out and at least inquiring about his value. And it was like I mentioned last week, Houston was – now open to the idea of trading Deshaun Watson. And when you look at Houston, it, the value that these teams are going to give up now is probably going to be less than what Houston would have gotten before. Because you and I both talked about this, that Deshaun was probably going to pull in probably somewhere between either three or four first rounders and then probably some other 
players or maybe a second rounder on top of it. Now, when you look at this situation, I think teams are actually emboldened by the fact that his value has taken a hit. And that's why they're probably calling Houston a lot more just because, well, instead of now giving up three or four first rounders, now you can maybe get away with only maybe trading one or two first rounders and maybe a second or third after that. So it's very weird. Like, I think a lot of teams are still very interested in the fact of having Deshaun Watson on the, on the team simply because he is one of the most dynamic quarterbacks that you and I have ever seen. He's definitely one of the best quarterbacks of this new generation of quarterbacks coming into the fold. But with this litigation over his head, it's going to cause some headaches for not only Houston, but some teams that are going to go after Deshaun via trade. But I think, I think to them it's worth it because I think it's more of a, you look at it from this perspective, it's more, it's like a short-term loss for a long-term gain. So, I mean, an entire season though, that's, that's, I know in, in, in the grand they, they it's will, it's small. They will gladly but. eat that. They'll eat a season. So then that way they have an opportunity to possibly succeed for five to six years, possibly 10 years. And I don't think this is a situation where Deshaun ends up going to prison. I just don't see that. I think this is going to be largely civil suits. I haven't seen really any sort of escalation towards criminal charges being levied against Deshaun. And I think unless that changes, I think teams are just going to be emboldened to make this trade for Deshaun. And now they're going to do it at a reduced price. So they will take the hit for a short-term loss, for a short-term loss, but the long-term gain that they can get from this, you look at somebody like Chicago, I mean, Chicago could have been one of those teams, but they couldn't end up making the trade for it. So, but it does give a lot of these other teams that may have been kind of out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes a few weeks ago. Now gives them a chance to go out and possibly get them. Look, there were rumors. Granted, I don't know how true they were that maybe the Patriots were stockpiling a lot of these players to possibly move for Deshaun Watson. And you got to think about it because Nick Casario is now the general manager of Houston. And Nick Casario was one of the biggest personnel people in the players, in the Patriots organization for at least a decade, if not a decade plus. And people were making the, they were making the connection between Bill Belichick and him saying, could the Patriots actually go out and make this trade for Deshaun now that they have all these players that they signed via free agency and they have, some decent picks to move. I don't think it's going to happen, but the rumors were somewhat flying in New England last week when it came to this, but that was before all these sexual assault uh, um, lawsuits came out against Deshaun. Yeah, no, you brought up New England. That was going to be my next spitfire. I'm going to come at you hot real quick, so just be ready. So you brought up the possibility of Deshaun Watson possibly being traded to to, to, to the Patriots. Guys, that's speculation. It is rumors. It's it is just, just our idea. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it's opinion, just opinion, people. It's just opinion. This is not fact. We're, we're, so we're just we're just throwing everything out here, right? But there was a report that actually came out today or yesterday that the Patriots are interested in Justin Fields. Justin Fields is a top ten potential pick in this year's draft. You guys have what pick this year? Fifteen. Do you think? Do you see yourself trading up to make some competition for Camp? Realistically, as a Patriots fan. I want you to give it to me straight. Justin Fields, yes, no. Do you want him? Do you think it's a good idea? What's, what, what's running through your mind? 
Yeah, sure. Who wouldn't be opposed to the idea of adding Justin Fields? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. why not? I, look, I mean, Cam's on a one-year deal. And 14 million, though. That's a pretty hefty deal for somebody base, who sucked it up last it's, year. It's really incentive-based, though. His base salary is only like five or six million. It's not that much. It's But they they really loaded it with incentives, which, I mean, if Cam wants to go out there and ball out, he can hit those incentives. He's got the pieces to do it. But to get back onto the point about Justin Fields, yeah, it would be a solid pickup. I think they would have to trade up, though. And depending yeah. on some of these teams, maybe you could look at a situation where you trade up maybe to take Denver's spot in the draft. I believe Denver has a top 10 pick in this year's draft, and they have Drew Locke. Now, does Denver move on from Drew Locke and maybe draft a quarterback this year? Who knows? But I know New England could definitely look at some of these teams that are in the top 10 of the draft this year who don't really have a situation at the quarterback spot. You could maybe look at something like the Bengals. The Bengals don't really have a quarterback issue to deal with. Could New England make an enticing package to where they could trade up to get the Bengals spot in the draft? Maybe. And it, like with Justin Fields, I think Justin Fields would be a great ad for the team. But there are some other quarterbacks they can go after. Mac Jones is probably going to be a top 10, maybe an outside shot to get to the top 15. I don't know if he's going to slide all the way to like 15 where New England's sitting. But yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to, to the idea of Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is an extremely competent quarterback. Now, he is a little bit smaller. He does kind of give me that Kyler Murray type feel. But as long as if New England were to get him, he would have a great offensive line protecting him. And, I mean, the weapons around Ky- uh, not around Kyler, around Justin would be great, but it would set up a really interesting QB competition between Cam and Justin. But I still think that Cam would end up getting the starting job. Justin Fields is 6'3". Oh, I thought he was shorter. He looked shorter on the no, field than he Kyler's did. Kyler's like 5'10". I thought Justin was a lot shorter. Maybe, you know why? I'll tell you why. Have you ever watched Ohio State games? Yeah. You know where the camera's positioned in that stadium? It's set up like really yeah. high. Mm-hmm. I think when I look at that sometimes, it gives me the impression that those guys are shorter than they actually are. And I think with Justin enough. Fields, like with him, I didn't know he was 6'3". I thought he was like six feet. So. No, 6'3", 227. If he's 6'3", that's fine. Yeah, it'd be fine. I mean, Brady was like 6'4", 6'5". So, yeah, Justin would be fine. And he's more mobile. He's a great mobile quarterback. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like a younger Cam to a certain extent with a less powerful arm. Because we all know Cam had a cannon coming out of Auburn. Not an accurate one, but. I didn't say it was. It was a cannon. Shit. I mean, that, but, I don't know if it's really the same anymore now after that shoulder surgery that he had a couple years no, ago. No, we all, we, all, we all know what it was. We, we, he looked like Philip Rivers out there throwing ducks to a certain extent. Yeah, Rivers was getting it done, though, at freaking age 40 even though he could barely throw the ball 30 yards anymore. Yeah, nevertheless, it's uh, it's just uh, – it's something I wanted to throw out. Like I said, I saw the report whenever that was, whenever I texted you or sent you the tweet. I just – I had to get you on the podcast and ask you right, you know, to your face because, dude, Justin Fields could change the dynamic of that organization. And, like, I know you guys wanted to go in the route of a mobile quarterback in, like, the first half of the season – it was panning out. Like, you know what I'm saying? You guys had a really good show out for a little, for a couple of games and then Cam got COVID. Justin Fields is 22 years old, has a good arm, comes from a good system in Ohio state. 
and is mobile. I mean, who's to say it's not a younger Cam, you know? Like, he ran an unofficial 40 of, I think it was a, a 4.5 or a 4.4, and he said he's going to get it even lower. So, Cam, the Cam, kid's talented. Cam was a major athlete coming out of Auburn, though. Major athlete. So Tall, poised, durable, but, strength, but, fast. But Justin, Justin is a lot more accurate. And he's not as turnover prone. Yeah. Rarely turns the ball over. So can you picture a system with two strong tight ends like you guys are going to have, and then a quick receiving core and a nice running back system back there. I mean, that's yeah. For a young guy to inherit a system like that under Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. The offensive might be cooking again. The offensive line is, is pretty solid going into next year because they resigned David. You guys got Trent Brown. Yeah, you got David Andrews back too. And people were thinking that he was going to be on the way out after they re-signed Ted Karras. So with the way that things are looking for New England, New England is definitely looking like a playoff team next year. But the biggest issue on this team is quarterback. What's going to happen at the quarterback spot? And maybe the receivers, just because you got Julian Edelman coming back. He's in his mid-30s. He's probably on the edge of retirement at this point. But I would at, say so with all the injuries he's been battling. But, but New England's main issue for the last couple of years is these receivers and their inability to separate from defenders. Now, Jacoby Myers is one of those guys from within the system that has actually done fairly decent so far. But when it came to some other guys like Nikhil Harry, I mean, Gunnar Olszewski's fast, but they don't utilize mm-hmm. him a lot in the offense yet. But just when it really is kind of an indictment on Nikhil Harry when they go after Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and those two tight ends. And the tight end position is even worse because those two kids that they drafted, I believe it's Devin Asasi, and I'm probably screwing up his last name, and then uh, Dalton Keene, I believe he was from Virginia Tech, and then Asasi was from UCLA. When you go out and sign two tight ends, and those two tight ends were at the top of the free agent market, those guys are screwed because Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are going to be the main workhorses for that tight end spot now. And they need to get the production from that, from that area of the, just the position on that offense. Because I think last year, I think the tight end, the, the tight end production from the two rookie tight ends that they had last year was five catches for 55 yards. Peace. It was awful, bro. So Peace. I mean, hell, it could be the first game where freaking Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry could get six catches for like 80 yards and a touchdown, which would outproduce what those two guys did last year entirely. So the main issue on that team, I think the main issue with these with the Patriots is essentially on the offensive side of the ball. I think defensively they're stout. Defensively they're going to be fine. I would agree. You guys are getting a lot back. Obviously Patrick Chung, Patrick Chung retired. But, I mean, still well, got the McCourty brothers and stuff we, like that. We, we're pretty deep at the safety spot. And it does give, like, a guy like Joe Jawan Williams a shot to really take that next step into into his career. They, they drafted him, I believe, two years ago. And he shows some, he's shown some flashes in his time with New England so far. So, I think with Patrick Chun, I think maybe the writing was on the wall because I think New England is probably going to go younger at that safety spot because Devin McCourty is kind of reaching that last leg of his career. And you're definitely going to see some younger guys really start to 
pop out at that safety spot, probably after Devin retires. More than likely. But, I mean, other than that, guys, that's all we have for you today. Uh, we have a lot more content coming for you on Wednesday. We're going to have a list of a, uh, list of topics to talk about with Dawson, and we can't wait to have him on the show. If mm -hmm. you already haven't, please like, please subscribe to these videos. Man, we really do appreciate all the support. As of today, we are at 120 subs. Um, we continue to grow. Right, we know that our views have taken a little bit of a dive over the last couple of weeks, but overall, we feel that we're putting up the best content that we could with the best time that we have available between the two of our schedules. Uh, continue to be patient, continue to work with us. It's only going to get better from here. And uh, we really, really, really appreciate all and any support. Yeah, just to reiterate what Kev said, you know, we just appreciate the support wherever we can get it, whether it's on the podcast side of things with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We definitely appreciate the support on YouTube. We're we're getting there just slowly but surely. And we're just going to try to put out the best content that we can. I, I've been taking time during the weekend to try to work on some different overlays so that you guys have at least a different look at what our videos are going to be on YouTube fairly soon. I imagine it's probably going to take me probably another week or two to kind of finalize those and then try to integrate those into our videos, but definitely expect the quality of our videos to improve probably within the next month or so. So just stay patient with us and, and we'll get there. Absolutely. But like we said, that's a wrap for us today. You guys have a great night and a good rest of your week. Yeah. And we'll see you guys later this week with Dawson. Yes, sir. See All you right. guys. Yep. We'll see you later, guys. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast.